So, in the Philippines, Lieutenant Hiro Onoda finally comes out of the jungle and surrenders, handing over his sword, his rifle, hundreds of rounds of ammunition, and several grenades. To acquire his surrender, though, the Japanese government had to track down his commanding officer to order him to surrender. Now, that's a little harder than it might sound because the date is March 9th, 1974. He was one of two Japanese soldiers, the first of two Japanese soldiers to surrender in 1974. Uh, what kind of culture do you need for men to keep risking their lives for 30 years for your nation? Uh, which ha just happens to be 29 years after the end of the war. What kind of culture do you need for these men to see modern newspapers and know they must be forgeries? Because they describe life in Japan in great detail. And if the war was over, there would be no life in Japan. That's a tough question. Let me ask another. What kind of culture do you need for two million people who can't stand each other, who've been recently enslaved, and who know nothing about how to run a society, uh, who have very short memories, only matched by their agonizingly short tempers, uh, to become a dominant cultural force in some of the most coveted land on the planet? What kind of culture do you need for people with no guns or grenades, often no swords or horses, to boldly resist and maintain that culture under the greatest empires to ever exist on the earth? What kind of culture do you need to go into exile, estranged from homeland, estranged from language, estranged from the temple that the culture was built around? And so the war is really and truly over, not for 29 years, but for generations. And these people still won't give it up. It would absolutely take a miracle. But just like the first time he made non-people into his people, our Yahweh Most High is going to do it with a word. Leviticus is the miracle that made this unkillable culture. So it's a crying shame that it has also killed so many attempts to read the Bible in a year. <laughs> so today we're going to quickly show why you should be terrified of Leviticus, not because it's old and dead, but because it's very old and very much alive. So Leviticus begins with Yahweh inside the tabernacle and Moses outside. In chapters 1 through 7, uh, Yahweh describes the ritual sacrifices he requires. In chapters 8 through 10, priests are ordained to perform these sacrifices. Chapters 11 through 15 deal with ritual purity. And chapters 16 and 17 describe the Day of Atonement, where one sacrifice is made for the whole people. Chapters 18 through 20 deal with moral purity. Chapters 21 and 22 set the qualifications for these priests. Chapters 23 through 25 describe the ritual feast to remember all of this. And the next book, Numbers, begins with Yahweh and Moses inside the tabernacle together. So this is a pattern you may recognize. Uh, a pattern to bring God's people into God's presence that hinges on one sacrifice being made for the whole people. Okay? 
you might see a shorthand way of categorizing the laws as ceremonial, civil, and moral, but you'll find them in Leviticus all mixed together. And, and that makes sense because they have one identical function. Uh, the moral laws show us that we are hopeless to fulfill God's demands, uh, the civil that we therefore deserve death, uh, and the ceremonial that maybe if we could find a perfect, perfect, unblemished sacrifice, maybe he could die instead. So, as John Bunyan says, defending his use of allegory, should a man find fault with all these symbols in Leviticus? No, he rather stoops and seeks to find out what, by pins and loops, by calves and sheep, by heifers and by rams, by birds and herbs and by the blood of lambs, God speaketh to him, and happy is he that finds the light and grace that in them be. And lest you think I'm forcing a New Testament interpretation upon this book, all about an unblemished male sacrifice, <laughs> uh, Leviticus 26, starting in verse 11, says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am Yahweh, your God. So it's no wonder that when Yahweh does make his dwelling among us, when his soul is anguished beyond measure uh, to deal with the sin he must abhor so that he cannot abhor us, when he walks among us and makes us who were not a people, a people of God for his own possession, it's no wonder that he quotes Leviticus more than any other book of the Bible. 